We're, uh, we're continuing this uh, series on daring faith. And, uh, you know, just like uh, Shannon, Shannon was sharing with you some of our goals, and we sat down and we discussed some of these goals, and we're laying that out because Donald preached last week about how without a vision, the people perish. One, one translation says, without a vision, the people cast off restraint. That means that if they don't have a goal, if they don't have a vision that they're looking at, that they're pursuing, then they just kind of forget. They begin to slack. They begin to relax. They're not focused. They're not intentional. And so it's so important that we have a vision. But here's something that we understand, even whenever we talk about these goals and, and these visions. Uh, you know, Shannon, we were, we were sitting around the table and discussing some of these goals and we said, you know, well, we're at 24% in small groups. And then he said, maybe we're about 24% in, in, in the God factor as well. You know, we need to get the God factor up to 100%. And the reality is, is that it's good for us to set goals. But at the end of the day, our goal is God himself. We want more of God's presence. We want God in our lives. We want him to move among us in a powerful way. And, and without God revealing his vision to us, we could preach message after message and show you exactly what we want to do, the programs that we have offered, the ministries that we have, the people that are involved in that. But at the end of the day, if you're not pursuing God for yourself and he's not revealing his vision to you, none of that will matter. Because he has to birth his vision in your heart before you can catch the greater vision. Amen? The vision ultimately doesn't come from a pastor. It comes from God himself. And so we have to get in line in seeking God himself. And that's kind of what my message is about this morning. My message this morning is daring to give God our best. Have you, have you given God your best so far this morning? Did you come in here and give him your best worship or did you give him about 15, 20%? Anybody? About 15, 20, 30, even 40 he wants our best, doesn't he? God wants our best. So I'm going to get started in the message. Um, if, if you want to, you can be turning. I'm going to be reading eventually from 2 Timothy chapter 2. You can be turning in your Bibles there. But if you would, let's just, uh, let's just pray together before we begin. Heavenly Father, God, we just come into your presence. And God, you are a good God. You're a holy God. And we reverence you this morning. We honor you, Lord, because we believe that you hold all things in your hand. And, Lord, we have to look to you because we don't have any life without you. So we honor you. We reverence you, God. We reverence your word this morning. God, we tremble at your word because we know that it alone gives us life. That if you don't speak to us, we have no life. And so, God, I ask you, Lord, to anoint your word, to bring life to it in our hearts this morning, to plant it deep within our hearts and to bring transformation, Lord, that you would show us how we can give you the best of ourselves for you and for your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you know, I've been thinking about this giving God our best stuff this week a little bit, and, and, and I start to think about eternity when I think about this stuff. And I start to ask myself, what would, how would my life change? What would be different if I honestly saw things from an eternal perspective. Because the truth is, is that most Christians live with about a 70 or 80 year perspective. You live your life as if you've got about 70 or 80 years and you're trying to get something done that would equal success in your life within that 70 or 80 years. But God says, no, actually this is only the beginning to something far greater. We are sojourners, the Bible says, pilgrims or temporary residents just simply passing through. And it's as if we are, 
we are in a test mode, so to speak, to see what we're going to do with what God has given us, ultimately that will last throughout eternity. It's amazing what would happen in our lives, I believe, if we started to devote our time, our energy, our money, everything that we were with an eternal perspective in mind. Because the Bible says clearly, Jesus makes it very clear that... One day, I love what the scripture says, you know, because I was sitting there watching my wife fold clothes yesterday, thank God, amen. I didn't want to fold them. But I was sitting there watching her fold clothes yesterday, and I think about that verse about how it says that one day God will take this world and the heavens and fold them up like a garment. Now imagine him taking the world, the heavens, the earth, everything that is in them, and simply, that's what it is to him, just folding it up like a garment. There's going to be a day when every single thing on this earth that you can see is going to burn up in fervent heat, the scripture says, and God will create a new heavens and a new earth, right? And so the scripture says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, it says, since everything on earth will be gone one day, what kind of people should you be? Your lives should be holy and dedicated to God as you wait for the day of God and do your best to make it come soon. I read, I read, a, I read a quote by C.S. Lewis the other day from a book called Mere Christianity. Here's what he says. Listen to this. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely the ones who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. See, the truth is is that we focus most of our thoughts, our energy, our effort, our money, our time, everything that we do, we're focused on this world and what we can get in this life and the gain that we can have in this life. But the Scripture says that naked you came out of this world and naked you shall return. That you brought nothing into this world and it is certain that you can carry nothing out of this world. So what should we devote ourselves to in that sense? And here's here's the beautiful thing about the church is that we know that Jesus is coming back for a church, for a bride, that is without spot and without wrinkle. And here's the problem with the church that I see in our day is that when we think about the day of God and the day that comes when the judgment of God is coming and Jesus is returning, we actually get fearful rather than joyful. And why in the world is that? And the truth is the reason we get fearful rather than joyful is because somewhere in our hearts it reveals the fact that we are focused far more on this earth than we are on that kingdom. And the scripture says that this is not my home, that I am a temporary resident, I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world, that my home is literally a place called the kingdom of God. It's where Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God, where the presence of God dwells, where the angels bow down and worship him 24-7. That is where I am from. And when I was born into that kingdom, something was birthed in my heart, a fire and a passion that says, I need to tap in to that realm. I need to look beyond what I see here on this earth because whatever happens here is going to come to an end one day. And all that will matter is whether or not I brought the kingdom of heaven to earth through my life. The kingdom of earth is not going to matter. Everything I earn, whether it be money, whether it be cars, whatever I earn on this life is going to perish one day. But what will last is what I allowed Jesus to do through me in this earth to transform this earth. Amen? And so we have to begin to look at things from that perspective. And when we do, and when we know who the church is, and we think about Jesus coming back and the seven-year tribulation and the book of Revelation, you know, people read the book of Revelation and they talk about how fearful they get when they read it. And I, I understand that. The first time I read it, I was like, wow, this is, this is going to be bad, right? But the revelation of Jesus Christ is a book 
that is not about how bad things are going to get. It's about the fact that ultimately Jesus Christ redeems all things to himself. And ultimately he has a church on the earth that is revealing his person, who he is, his goodness, his love, his power, his glory to the earth right now. And he will come again to get them one day. And it says that we can actually hasten that day, hasten that coming. I don't know about you, I want to hasten that coming. Because the scripture says that all, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to the ends of the world, and then the kingdom shall come. See, God is still waiting on His church to become pure and undefiled, and His church to preach the gospel to the ends of the world. And it says that we ought to have a heart where we're hastening that coming. Not saying, Lord, please hold up a little bit more. I got some stuff to do before I go. Amen. Hold up a little bit longer, God. I got my life planned out, and I don't want you to come and interrupt my life. The scripture says that you are dead in Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is not your life if you are a Christian. Jesus Christ has come to take your life from you so that you might find what life really is all about. Man, that's a good word right there this morning. Because in American Christianity today, the truth is, is that we have been deceived into believing that God is somebody who's going to help us with our plan. And God is not going to help us with our plan. God is saying, I want you to die to your plan because your plan will ultimately end in dissatisfaction. It will leave you empty. It will leave you wondering what you could have been. It will leave you compromising. But my plan, if you will seek me, I'll show you how to bring my kingdom to earth right in the here and now. And ultimately, you will say, this is the life that I always dreamed of. I've been lied to. I've been lied to. The American dream's been a lie. Everything that I could pursue or gain in my life, it's been a lie. And fulfillment is only found in Jesus Christ. And so we have to decide. This is the question we have to ask ourselves in this generation. Is that are we living our lives to pursue treasure on this earth? Or are we doing what Jesus said five times? Storing up treasures in heaven. Which one are we living our lives for? And I believe that when we begin to shift our focus from this earth to that kingdom that all of a sudden our behavior changes. All of a sudden my goals change. All of a sudden the things I desire, the things that I want change when I understand that I'm going to stand before Jesus one day. So the question is how do I give my best to God? The greatest tragedy in life is not death. It's a wasted life. It's a life that was lived for many, many, many years but yet at the end it comes to nothing when it's judged by God. Because they were not willing to yield themselves to the glory of God and what he wanted. So, you know, nobody nowadays in, in, in sports and stuff like that, they give away participation trophies, right? I don't want to get to heaven and just get a participation trophy. I want to win the full reward. I want to get everything that God had for me on this life. I want to be able to meet Jesus face to face and say, Lord, I heard your voice. I obeyed your call. And I laid my life down so that I could pursue everything that you had for me in my life. I gave my all and you were able to do what you wanted to do with my life. That's what I want to do and, and what I want to say whenever I meet Jesus. Now, Paul starts to discuss this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and he gives us three analogies. He talks about a soldier, he talks about an athlete, and he talks about a farmer. And he talks about, he, he's giving them to us as illustrations to try to teach us what it means to give us our best in what we're doing. So he says in, in verse 3, Beginning in verse 3, 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. 
The hardworking farmer must be first to partake, partake of the crops. Then he says, consider what I say and the Lord give you understanding in all things. So he starts out with a soldier, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And here's, in your notes, I want to give you three things that every soldier understands. And the first one is, number one, a soldier understands that I must define what I would die for. I must define what I die for. Now, we begin to say, well, that's a weird place to start, isn't it, Clay? We you know, start out about death already. I mean, what would you die for? I mean, that's, that's kind of hardcore. But here's, here's the truth is that every soldier understands that there are some things more valuable in life than even my own life. There are some things that they consider to be worth dying for, right? Freedom, liberty, my family, different things like this that we begin to see and understand that we value above even our own lives. And, I, you know, I was reading yesterday that I have this book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a book about this thick, and, it, and it's all these different men throughout history that have been martyred for Jesus Christ and the, and the story behind them. And some of these stories are just ridiculous. I read about, man, I read about the Apostle John who was boiled in oil three times trying to get him, they were try, the Roman Empire was trying to get him to renounce Jesus Christ and renounce faith. They would dip him in oil and bring him out and, and, and him be boiling and they would say renounce Jesus Christ and he instead would confess his faith in Jesus Christ. And when they pulled him out the third time, he was miraculously unharmed. And many people who were watching ended up giving their life to Jesus Christ because he would not renounce his faith. Now think about that. There's, I'm telling you, there is story after story of men who were killed and tortured and crucified for Jesus Christ. Story after story. But whenever their killers came to kill them, they would, they would say, I forgive you. I love you in Jesus' name. And some, there, some of the craziest stuff in, in, the year, in the 60s, and I'm talking about not 1960s, but... 60s AD, right? There was a Roman emperor named Nero. If you read about some of the stuff that he did to Christians, it'll make, you, it'll make your stomach turn. He would take Christians and he would put a, a, a wax type of a substance on their body and he would melt them to crosses and set them on fire in his garden at night to light his garden. And he would stand in the top of his, of his building up there at the top and he would often, when he'd set these Christians on fire, hear them singing joyful songs as they died in the fire. He ended up going crazy because he heard that. Now, how is it that somebody that's been set on fire, their life cut short, they're in their 20s or their 30s, and they've been set on fire because they believe in Jesus Christ, is able to sing a joyful song because they have tasted another dimension. They have fixed their eyes on another kingdom. They realized that this world was not the world they were living for in the first place. They were living to see a man named Jesus Christ. And I believe that they had already gotten a glimpse of him. Otherwise, they would not have been singing such joyful songs. And I believe that right now in this world, in order to give God our best, we have got to get such a taste of Jesus and who he is in our lives to glimpse the unseen realm that what happens in this world doesn't affect us anymore. See, we, we talk about difficulty and going through hard times, and we go through difficult times, but I'm telling you, there's a place in Jesus Christ where you see the invisible, and you know where you're going, and nothing in this world can affect you. It will not move you because you know what you're destined for. And in order to give God our best, we have got to stop living from this realm and start living for that one. And I'm telling you, when we see Jesus, it won't be hard to die for such a man. Because he died for us. And when we see him, and when we see, when we begin to understand what he has prepared for us, it's easy to lay down your life. 
It becomes simple. You know, there are, there are Christians in China right now that their prayer is actually that persecution would come to the United States. Isn't that odd? Because over here in America, we're praying that persecution doesn't come to the United States. But they're praying that it does because, you know, the fastest growing church in the world right now is actually in China. And in the 60s, they outlawed God. In the 60s, we had prayer in church. Or, or prayer in, well, now we barely have it in church. Amen. But they had prayer in schools in the 60s in America. And in China, they didn't have any prayer whatsoever. There was no God as far as they were concerned. They outlawed him. And now it's the fastest growing church in the world. And America is on the decline. They realize the power of persecution. When you're forced into a corner to decide, do I really believe in this or do I not? Do I really believe that I'm living for that realm or am I still just kind of teetering on the edge of, well, I kind of want to live for this realm and maybe let Jesus invade it a little bit and then think, well, you know, after I do my plan, then I get to go to heaven. Amen? This is a good word this morning. I know it, it, it stings a little bit. But here's the thing. When I think about this and, and when you think about this, it's not really a harsh word. It's more or less like a tune-up, right? It's just beginning to recalibrate you to say, yes, he's right, and I know this in my heart. Therefore, it doesn't hurt that bad. I thank you for the reminder, Clay. I really appreciate the reminder this morning, right? Amen. I appreciate the reminder that I'm not living for this earth. I'm living for another kingdom. I must determine what I die for. Jesus says in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. The greatest expression of love was Jesus dying for us. And he says that there's no greater expression of love. And you know, we don't measure love based on what a person says to us. You can say you love me all day, right? I love you. I love you. But we measure love by the willing to sacrifice for somebody else. And the greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. What am I willing to sacrifice for others? That's how love is measured. Secondly, every soldier understands that I must sacrifice my comfort. Now, this is one that I don't even like, right? Nobody wants to sacrifice their comfort. I want to go home at the end of the day, and I want to rest on a soft couch and and, and, and not even, I don't want anybody to call me. I don't want you to call me and say you need help doing something because I just want to say it. Amen. I want to be comfortable. Somebody else amen me on that. You know you the same way. You don't know. You, no, don't, you don't want anybody to mess with your comfort. But a soldier, on the other hand, they realize that when they enlist, that they're going to be sacrificing their comfort every single day. They're going to be in freezing cold. They're going to be in, in hot places. There are going to be bullets flying by their head. They don't get to take a shower when they want to. They don't get to shave when they want to. I did. Made me look like 12. That's what everybody's been saying. Somebody said, who's that guest speaker up there this morning? But we have to sacrifice our comfort. We even often have to sacrifice our wealth. A soldier's not going to get wealthy fighting in battle. But a soldier gives up their freedom and they submit fully to what their commanding officer says. And we have to come to the place where we submit fully to, to what Jesus is saying. And here's the real truth, and it's a difficult truth, is that nothing great happens. You'll never do anything great in your life by doing what is easy and comfortable. Period. There are so many people. In my, in my life today, I promise you, Maybe my dad could even vouch for it. If it were not for Jesus, I would be the laziest human being on the face of the planet. Like, I, I, know who, I know who I am, right? And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit really got into my life that I even just got up off the couch, amen? 
Anybody? No. Like I, I needed some motivation because I looked at the world around me and I said, is this, if this is all we got to live for, I don't even care what happens. But then when I saw that there was another kingdom and I saw that there was something else, I was willing to begin to sacrifice my life. I was willing to begin to sacrifice my comfort a little bit. I was willing to begin to give up things that I thought I wanted to do and say, no, I'm going to give that up, God, because I want to pursue your kingdom. And it looked really strange from time to time. I wondered if things were going to, if I was going to have enough money, if, I, if everything was going to work out. But God has made sure that every single thing... He says, if you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness... Everything else will be added unto you. You'll get everything you'll need. You'll find everything you ever need. See, we spend our life trying to make sure that we're secure and we have everything we need. And God says, why are you worrying about that? If you would seek me, I'd make sure you had everything you need. And he's trying to shift our perspective so that we can learn to sacrifice our comfort. In 2 Timothy 2.3, this is why Paul says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Ain't nobody wants to hear that verse, right? That's one of those ones that Donald says, I wish that wasn't even in the Bible. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, what kind of hardship do, do we face as Christians? A lot of times we are... We are ostracized, we're cast out, we're made fun of, we're rejected. But honestly, in, in, in America, we don't face a whole lot of, of difficult hardships as Christians. But I will say this on some level, when you're growing in maturity and spiritual maturity, oftentimes it's a lot harder from what I can tell from people, and even maybe even in my own life, it's a lot harder to forgive than it is to just hold a grudge. Amen? It's a lot harder to be kind to somebody who's speaking evil of you than it is to just speak evil right back out about them again. See, sometimes we have to endure hardship as a Christian and suffer different difficulties and different things like that. But all of these things, nothing great is ever done without sacrifice. You know, it's, I think about young people in our generation. You know how it's, they, To be a young Christian, you do endure hardship. Because you, you're just finding out who you are and everybody in the world around you is, is talking about drugs and sex and alcohol and all of these things consistently. And in order to say, no, I'm going to maintain purity, I'm going to stay free from that stuff, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, you're going to endure some hardship doing those things. But oftentimes we have to choose to sacrifice our comfort. You know, many people will sacrifice for their own personal success, won't they? Amen? People will lay down their lives to make sure that they are a, personally a success give my heart and soul into me becoming personally successful. But Christianity is the opposite. It's laying down my life so that others might be successful in the kingdom of God. Laying down my life so that others might know Jesus. And that is difficult in this world because this world is telling you everything the opposite. You know that if a person works really, really hard and makes all kinds of money, we give them, we say, well, that, that person's hardworking. And I'll tell you what, that, it is an extremely valuable asset, especially in our generation when half the people in our community don't work. We need hard workers. But if somebody ups and says, I'm going to spend a lot of time in prayer and I'm going to seek God and I'm going to go preach the gospel in places where they've not been preached, well, we'll say, well, you're wasting all your time. What in the world are you doing? You're crazy. That person's crazy. They spend time praying all the time and going preaching places all the time. And, and they're, not, they're not focused on their own career. They're not focused on money. They're focused on Jesus. They're just plumb crazy. Right? But in Ephesians 5, 2, it says, live a life of sacrificial love just like Christ loved us and gave himself for us, 
as an offering and a sacrifice. So we have to begin to ask ourselves, how can I spend my own money and what I would actually spend on me in order to benefit God's kingdom? How can I spend my own time and what I thought, well, this was my time, I wanted to relax, I wanted to be comfortable in order to see that somebody else is blessed and for the benefit, benefit of God's kingdom? How can I give up what ultimately brings me comfort, lay that aside so that God's kingdom can be advanced? I think, I think all of us, if we were to ask ourselves, am I really giving God my best? You know, it would challenge us. It would begin to speak to different areas in our life and expose some things. There's a guy named Jim Elliott. Donald's got a book in his office about, he's got these, these stacks of books about these different missionaries. But Jim Elliott said something. He said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott, back in the 50s, he went to Ecuador with five other missionaries, and they went to preach the gospel to these men in Ecuador, and they were, they were afraid to move in at first, so they dropped gifts down just to say, hey, we come in peace, you know. And they drop all these gifts down, down, and then they land the plane, and they come in there, and they're there for a little bit, and everything is going well. But all of a sudden, one day, this tribe comes out of the, comes out of the bushes, and, and these men have guns. They could have wiped these dudes out. But they chose not to. They laid down their guns and they allowed these men to thrust them through with a spear. And they all died, all five of them, right there. And most people in America said, well, that was a waste of time. That was a total waste of time. They shouldn't have even went. And, and they must have missed God. Well, as Jim Elliott was being thrust through with a spear, he told this man that he loved him and that he forgave him as he was dying. And Jim Elliott's wife and one of the other men's, I think, sister... Uh, along with some other ones, they ended up coming back into the same place and, and began to share the gospel with, with these same people. And the same men that killed Jim Elliott and those five missionaries ended up getting saved, giving their life to Christ, becoming, becoming missionaries and preachers and ministers themselves. And one of the same men that died beside Jim Elliott, his son ended up being baptized by the man that killed Jim Elliott. And there was revival in that tribe and there, were, uh, there, there was there, thousands of souls that are going to be saved because those men were willing to lay down their life for Jesus Christ. Now, you have to ask yourself, now we don't face this much where we're at. You know, we're, the worst thing we got is somebody in church argued with me. And, and the truth is, if we, if we had the heart to focus on lost people like they did, a lot of the small things that we worry about would disappear. They would, they would just vanish because we wouldn't have time to worry about things like that. And you have to ask yourself, I know you, you probably will never maybe be asked to actually lay down your life for the gospel's sake. But the question is, is would you if you had the opportunity? Maybe even a better question is, right now, are you laying down your life for the gospel's sake? Day to day. Am I giving God my best right now? Am I a casual Christian or a committed Christian, right? 
See, you, everybody has to come to the point where they ask themselves this, and this is not a word of condemnation. It's a word that challenges you to press deeper, to get past your own flesh and your own selfishness and say, you know what? What he's speaking is right. Jesus has called me. Jesus loves me. He has something greater for me, and somehow I've been blinded to it, and I've allowed my own selfishness to keep me from it, and now I have to be a committed Christian. I have to give my best to Jesus Christ. And thirdly, if I'm going to do that as a soldier, I must eliminate distractions. I must eliminate distractions. Verse 3 and 4, 2 Timothy, it says, As Christ's soldier, do not let yourself become entangled in the affairs of this life. Listen to what it says, wasting time. For then you can't please your commanding officer who enlisted you in his army. See, we have to be ready to respond to what Jesus is asking us to do at any moment's notice, right? We can't just say, well, you know, Lord, I would do that, but I'm busy watching a football game right now. I'll get back to you, right? We have to be ready at all times. And here's the question. There are some things, the Bible speaks often about intentionally setting things aside in my life in order to pursue a greater goal. You know that many people often miss what God is calling them to do because of so many entanglements. Jesus said that many people would receive the Word of God and that Word of God would be sown among like weeds. They would be sown among thorns and weeds. And ultimately, the pursuits of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of this life, He says all of those things would grow up with the Word and they would begin to choke it out. That I get entangled with so many different busy things in my life that all of a sudden I miss God's calling and it's choked out of my life. Anybody ever felt like they've been there before? Now here's the truth, every single one of us have been there before because we live in a world where Satan has effectively created such a busy pattern and lifestyle that we don't know how to say no to certain things. Darlene will tell you about a book called The Best Yes, right? There's a book called The Best Yes that essentially is saying, look, you could say yes to everything everybody ever says, but the one yes that is going to matter in your life is yes, Jesus. I'm answering your call. And everything else I'm willing to lay aside, I will not allow it to entangle me in such a way that I'm not answering your call first, that I'm not doing what you're calling me to do first. I'm not going to allow the entanglements of this life to keep me from focusing on your call and doing what I must do for you and for your kingdom. So what could I get rid of? You know, I, I promise you this. There will be, John Piper said it like this. I was going to say something, but if I said it, somebody might get mad at me, so I'm going to quote somebody else. John Piper said, the, the one good thing that Facebook will bring to us at the end of the age, whenever we stand before God, is that we will all know that prayerlessness was not for lack of time. Yeah, just soak in that for a second. That's glorious. But it's true, is it not? And not that Facebook's a bad thing. Facebook, I've seen many people, many Christians use it for good. It helps people. It, it, it has good to it. Everything in this life can go good or bad, right? I'm not saying shut down Facebook. What I'm saying is you've got to prioritize your life. If you're spending more time with things like that than you are Jesus Christ, there is something you are entangled, and you have to become untangled in order to serve Him. Now, the second thing that, that Paul get, begins to get on is he gives us three lessons from an athlete. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 and 27 says this. He says, in a race, everyone runs, but only one person wins the prize. So run your race to win. 
To win the contest, you must deny yourselves many things that would keep you from doing your best. An athlete goes to all this trouble just to win a ribbon or a medal that won't last, but we do it for an eternal reward that will last forever. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. Like an athlete, I discipline myself, making sacrifices and training my body to do what it should, not what it wants to do. Otherwise, I fear I might be disqualified from the race. The first point on this is I must intend to win. Amen? Every athlete must actually intend to win. Have you ever known an athlete going to a game and say, you know, boys, I think I'm just going to lose this one. I'm not very interested in winning this one. No, you have to be intentional about winning. Your life also, he says that your life is a race, that it's not... It, 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 but, but, but the truth is it's a marathon. And he says you're not, it's not going to happen by accident in your life. You winning is not going to happen just because you up one day after you get off the couch eating some tater chips and say, well, look at that, I won. Everything, everything in my life turned out the way that it was supposed to, praise God, and I didn't do nothing. No, that's not, that's not how it works. We have to be intentional. And this is where there's a real big difference between a casual Christian and a committed Christian. Let's think about athletes for a minute. I used to play golf a lot. Anybody in here play golf? We got about one person maybe. Thank God, one, two. Donald used to play. He was a state. He went to state tournament. Donald did. Champion almost. Didn't he? Champion almost. Donald's a guy. Anyway, you, is there a difference between is there a difference between a committed golfer and a casual golfer? You ever played with a casual golfer? It'd take you six hours to get through 18 holes. I mean, they're hitting the ball everywhere. But a committed golfer, one who is on the course every day, even when you're not looking. When I used to play, I played for a team. Bob used to watch us play on occasion. We was ranked sixth in the state one year. And if we hadn't all been drug heads, we'd have probably won the state. Amen? <clears throat> we was hung over state tournament time. But the issue is, Thank God Lord saved a couple of us. Amen? But the issue is, is that nobody saw the fact that we got up at 5.30 in the morning to go and putt on the putting green, right? Nobody saw that we were hitting shots early in the morning for, as the sun was coming up. And then, we, and then when we got out of school, we went, and went somewhere and played 72 holes before the sun went down. Nobody saw that. All they saw was when we were making good shots in the actual deal, right? And see, sometimes... That's how it is in life. You have to begin to discipline yourself in the secret place so that ultimately you're going to find joy when it comes out into the open. Amen? There's a place in the secret place where we're focusing and we're intending to win, but we have to begin to practice. See, and here's the other thing is that it says in a race everyone runs, but only one person wins the prize. So run your race to win. And here's the difference. Here's something that you need to understand is that your race is different from everybody else's. Ultimately, we're running into the same kingdom. We're running for the same purpose. But my race and your race are different. This is where I have to hear from Jesus specifically because I can point you to Jesus and I can point you to some things that maybe you need to do for the kingdom of God. But ultimately, if you don't hear the call from Jesus himself to run the race that he's called you to run, you will not complete the race. Amen? Because he has something specific to you. I believe with all my heart that certain people are called into different ministries. Because sometimes when we think about ministry, we think, well, you know, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. Thank God. We got too many of them as it is. 
God calls people to be doctors, to be lawyers, to be educators. Why? Because He wants to get His leaven and His light in every aspect of the earth. In every single arena of society, He wants to influence it with light and with leaven. And you have to understand, what is God calling me to? Where does He want me to influence the kingdom at? Because for some of you, you, have, you are actually resisting a call to ministry. But others of you are trying to get your purpose fulfilled in this call to ministry when God is actually calling you to be in the marketplace. There are, God wants to raise up businessmen. He wants to raise up lawyers. He wants to raise up people that are teachers that go into our school and pray for their children rather than just trying to get them to get a good grade. He needs people in every area. And you have to understand what is, God, what is my race? What is God calling me to? And here's the thing that we have to understand is that the prize for this race, what we're going to win is eternal reward. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were asking me about judgment, right? And, and they, they started to talk about all their sins and what they'd done wrong. And, and, um, and, they, and I said, well, are you a Christian? They said, oh yeah, absolutely. And I said, well, you do know that whenever you come before Jesus Christ that you won't be judged for your sins. And they said, what? They thought I'd spoken blasphemy. When you come before Jesus Christ as a Christian, you will not be judged for your sins. Why? Because Jesus Christ eradicated your sins and put them all away on the cross. He washed them away never to be remembered again. If He can't remember again, how in the world are He going to judge me for them there? It's not an issue when I stand before Jesus of whether or not I'm entering into heaven or hell. The issue is whether, what I'm going to do when I get in heaven for eternity. So I won't be judged based on my sins. I will be judged based on what I did with the gift and the calling that God gave me. What did I do with what Jesus gave me? See, what I do with Jesus, this is said often, what I do with Jesus will determine where I, where I spend eternity, but what I do with what Jesus gave me will determine what I do throughout eternity. And I will be judged based according to my works. And it actually says, though, see, I will have to give every account for every deed done in the body. But it won't be based on, like, well, you sinned, you're going to hell. That's not the issue there. Jesus has eradicated our sins. But when I stand, it says that all of my secret thoughts, all the motives of my heart in that moment will be revealed. You know that, I, that it will be revealed, the motive behind why I'm standing up here before you today. That will be opened up. And Jesus will look at my motive and he will say, he might say, well, Clay, you know, your motive was a little bit messed up there. And all of a sudden, he's going he's to look at all these different aspects of my life and what I did for the kingdom of God, and he's going to put the fire to my works. And he's going to try those works. And I'm going to stand before Jesus in judgment, and he's going to put fire to those works. And he's going to test my motives and my thoughts and my intentions and how much I was willing to yield to what Jesus wanted to do in my life. And when he puts the fire to it, I, he's going to find out whether it was gold or silver or wood or hay or precious Precious stones, different things like that. And if, if my works were worthless, it's going to burn up. And it says, I'll get into the kingdom, but only through fire. I'll get in with nothing. And some people say, well, I just thank God I'll get in there. And you know what? I thank God I'll get in there too. But I know that I want to give God my best now. I want to make sure that when I go in there, there's no regret. There's nothing, there's no regret. There's nothing that I'm saying, Lord, I compromise. I left something behind while I was down there. See, he is going to judge a couple of things in our life. He's going to judge how did we use the gift that God gave us to build his kingdom. 
How are you using God's gift that he's given you to build his kingdom? Secondly, he's going to judge how did we build individual lives and influence others? How did you pour into other people's lives? You know, I believe that when we stand before God, there's going to be many a pastor. They'll they'll pastor for years and see many people saved, and all of their works are going to burn up. And on the same token, there's going to be many a mother that come before Jesus and say, Lord, I didn't do anything. The only thing I did was raise five children. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did exactly what I called you to do because you raised five godly children. And those children went on to become men and women of God who influenced others for the kingdom of God. And because you did what I called you to do and didn't try to step beyond your boundaries, but you did what I was telling you to do, well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You have to understand that this race is your race. What is God calling you to do in your workplace, in your family, with what He's dealt you? He's not calling every person to preach and be up behind this platform. I'm going to receive judgment based on what I've been called. You're going to receive judgment based on what you've been called to do. Does that get you excited? Hallelujah. Y'all didn't seem that excited right then. Secondly, this is a very good one, right? I must discipline myself. If I'm going to be a disciple, if I'm going to be an athlete, I have to discipline myself. No one becomes a professional without discipline, right? If you're going to be a professional in anything, you have to be disciplined. You have to to become a, a, you know, I can't imagine. We got Shannon over here, and he's he's the dean of the education department. Of course, he doesn't know basic math, obviously, so you don't (laughs) But... But he's the dean of the education department. He's got like a Ph.D. and all these. Uh, I thought a Ph.D. was a Pentecostal hairdo, but it turns out it's a degree that you get when you go to college. And uh, he's got one of those. But can you imagine the discipline that he had to put forth in order to get something like that, in order to get to the place where he's at? Nobody becomes a professional without discipline. And I have to discipline myself in the kingdom of God. And here's the other thing. I don't become great by doing what I feel. You know what? If every morning when I... Sometimes I... My my wife will tell you, I have to discipline myself to get up in the morning early and pray. It's hard for me because I I would like to sleep to about 10, 30, or 11. You know what I mean? I really would. I would just like to sleep in, but I have to get up and I have to give some time to God and it's discipline for me. And you begin to learn how to discipline yourself because without it, you're not going to make it. But here's the problem. Most of us, we, we are dictated by our moods our emotions, what we feel. And if I'm going to do what God's called me to do, I cannot be dictated by how I feel, by my emotions, by my moods. I've got to be controlled and dictated and led by the Holy Spirit. If I do what I feel all the time, I'm going to make some bad decisions. And that's why in verse 25, Paul says, to win the contest, you must deny yourselves many things that would keep you from doing your best. As an athlete goes into strict training to win a ribbon, but we do it for eternal reward, he says. And then he says, therefore, I discipline my body. I like the King James Version. He says, I beat my body under subjection. Anybody ever know that your body will get you in trouble? If you listen to what your body wants all the time, you're going to eat everything. I I could go further, but I'm going to stop there. You're going to do a lot of stuff that you'll wish you hadn't done if you listen to your body. That's why you have to discipline your body 
bring it under subjection just like an athlete does. He says, these athletes, these Olympians, they train every day. They discipline themselves. They discipline themselves in what they eat and how they train. Hours working out and building muscle and training themselves to perform something. He said, they do it for a ribbon that's going to burn. But you're doing this for an eternal reward. How important is it to discipline yourself? In your life right now, I'm telling you, at some point, in order to fulfill God's, God's work in your life and to do your best for God's kingdom, you must develop a prayer life. You have to develop communion with Jesus Christ. You have to get to know Him. You have to begin to learn and understand what it means to worship. Sometimes you need to spend time alone in solitude, listening to the voice of God, worshiping God, singing songs to God. Sometimes you need to learn what it means to pray and fast and deny yourself. You need to begin to read the Word and discipline yourself in studying God's Word and getting God's Word in your heart because without disciplining yourself to do those things, you're restricting the hand of God to move in your life and bring transformation. In order for Him to transform my heart, I have to lay it before Him in spiritual discipline. And here's the thing. You start out with discipline, but discipline always gives birth to passion. Write that one down. Discipline always gives birth to passion. What I mean by that is that at some point when you start to pray, you're going to feel like this, ain't, this doesn't feel good at all. Nothing's happening. You might even start to worship on Sunday morning. You say, them, them weird dudes up front, they lift their hands. I might do that. I might try that. It starts out as a discipline. You don't feel anything. But before long, when you discipline yourself to do it over time, when I first started praying, it was weird. It didn't feel like it was working. Now when I pray, I get in and I start to get burning hot on the inside of me. I want to pray more and more. I want to spend time in God's presence. I want to worship God. I want to sing songs to Him. I want to talk about how good He is to me. And I want to do it private. I want to do it alone. I want to do it publicly. Discipline always gives birth to passion. And passion for the kingdom of God will not happen unless you give yourself in, to, in, in discipline to Jesus Christ. And here, let me, let me finish with this one on this point. The pain of regret is always greater than the pain of discipline. You're going to spend your whole life, some of you, not willing to pay the price and at the end of it say, man, I could have done so much more. And the Lord is saying, you just need to take some simple steps, lay some things aside that you know are hindering you and begin to discipline yourself to give God your best. And you're going to be so glad that you did. Thirdly, this is the, the last thing. I must stay focused on the reward. I must stay focused on the reward. You know, in 2 John, John, this is after he had been boiled. This is after he had been sent to the Isle of Patmos and he had written the book of Revelation. He comes back. And when he comes back, he's 90 years old and he writes 2 John and he says, Take heed to yourselves that you don't lose what you've worked for, but that you gain a full reward. Now, we've always said, and I say it all the time, that our reward ultimately is God himself, isn't it? Our reward is Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. Nobody loved Jesus more than John, and John spoke about a full reward. So that does mean that in some sense, I could, pro I could also get a partial reward, right? I could get a reward that's a half reward. He's saying, I want you to get a full reward. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. It says, therefore, we also, running this race is speaking in context of, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, you can handle enormous pain and discipline in your life if you realize the payoff in the end. It says that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. What Jesus saw when he was going to the cross, when he was enduring the beating on the back, when he was enduring men spitting in his face, when he was enduring men putting a crown of thorns on his head, even before that, when he was praying and fasting 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and was tempted by Satan, he was able to endure all of those things. Why? Because he saw you and I cleansed from our sin, filled with the Holy Spirit, transformed new creation in heaven around his throne, worshiping him eternally forever. And he said, you know what? I'm willing to discipline myself. I'm willing to lay down my life because I see the end goal. And I'm going to be with my people forever. And they're going to be free from their sin. And they're going to be reconciled to me. I'm going to know them. They're going to know me. We're going to have that relationship. It's easy to do that when you see the reward, when you're focused on the reward. But here's the thing. You're not just going to be judged based on what you do. You're going to be judged based on what you were called to do. Right? And in your life, you've got to ask yourself this. You... Do you know what you're called to do? Do you know what Jesus is calling you to do right now? And the only person that has, that has the answer for the calling upon your life is Jesus himself. And the only way that we find it is in intimacy with him. When we seek him. When we seek Jesus, he reveals to us what he's calling us to do. But we have to seek him. And then we see that calling, and then we respond to that calling. And I'm telling you, as a church, this, this whole daring faith thing, daring to give God my best, we're, there's so many practical things and practical aspects to this that we're, that we're wanting to talk about. But I'm telling you, God is saying all of this, this daring faith, it's not going to amount to anything unless you first come to me and ask me and seek me and let me reveal to you what I'm calling you to do. Because we're going to ask people to do different things. We're going to ask people to give in faith. We're going to ask people to step out into different ministries. We're going to ask people to support different ministries. We're going to ask people to give up things that will challenge them. And if you've not heard from the Lord yourself, it will be very difficult for you to do that. And we don't want anybody to ever give based on the fact where they say, well, a pastor said give. Now, we want to, people to give because they said, no, I asked the Lord, and the Lord said He wanted me to give this. He said he wanted me to give this part of myself, this part of my life, this part of my time. And that's what we have to come to the point of. You can do without a lot of things. And right now I believe, I believe that this is what the Lord's putting his finger on. Is that he's asking you, are you willing to give me your best? Are you willing to lay some things aside that are hindering you in this race? And say, okay, Lord, I've gotten off track. But now I want to look back to you. I want to look the author and the finisher of my faith and I want to lay aside every weight and every sin that is so easily besetting me and getting me off course and I want to look to you once again and I want to fix my eyes on you and I want to set things aside because there's a whole lot of things you can do without a whole lot of things but there's one thing you can't do without and that is a relationship with Jesus